you're passionate about transforming retail operations and improving performance, plus you're accountable for key change projects and programs in your company, then you're in the right place. Welcome to the Retail Transformation Show with me, Oliver Banks. there and welcome to the Retail Transformation Show. I am Oliver Banks, your host and your guide to successfully deliver your retail transformation. Thank you for tuning in and welcome to episode 116, number 116. All of the changes and uncertainty brought on by the coronavirus pandemic have really guided us all as an industry towards agility and flexibility and speed of changing. And to enable this, rather unsurprisingly, many have turned to agile thinking. The agile concept was originally from the world of software development, but increasingly it's being used outside of that original remit and in the wider business context. But agile, again as a methodology, is commonly misunderstood So I thought it would be a great opportunity to guide you through what Agile really is and help you to better understand that same word again. I'm going to try not to overuse it, but I am really excited to introduce you to someone that is highly experienced in Agile, a very early adopter that was actually one of the very first Agile coaches in the world. Lawrence Bonhamer is an Agile trainer a management consultant and a graphic facilitator. And he helps leaders and organizations, not just in the retail industry, but wider than that, to create resilient businesses and add a little fun into the world as well, which I really love. If you want to find out all of the links and contact Lawrence, then check out the show notes, which you can find at obandco.uk slash 116. Now, this is a great conversation with Lawrence, but it is a little longer than usual. So we're going to crack straight on into this one. So I'm absolutely delighted to welcome Lawrence Bonema to the show. Lawrence, how are you? I'm doing fine. Awesome. Thanks, man. Well, I'm really excited to get into this. It's a huge topic that we're diving into, Agile which has, of course, been one of the massive buzzwords of recent times, you know, particularly in the world of transformation, agile this, agile that. But today we're going to demystify that because I think it's actually not been particularly well understood by a lot of the business community. And you've got this rich history and experience in it, which I'd really like to dive into, Lawrence. So I guess without further ado, what is agile from your perspective? Well, agile from my perspective, to put it bluntly, is just common sense with an uncommon level of discipline. Mm, Tell me more. Yeah. The reason I say that in that way is that it's the uncommon level of discipline that people tend to have um, most difficulty with. And it's the common sense part that annoys most people who've been around for a few years and think, uh, wasn't this the thing that we did 30 years ago? And then all of a sudden consultants came in and told us to do it in a different way because that was better. So and why is nobody saying that? And actually, that's exactly what I'm saying. Yeah, th- this is how you used to work about 30, 40 years ago, because it made sense to work closely together because there weren't a lot of people 
doing software because that's where Agile started. Mm-hmm. And the same thing held true for there weren't a lot of when when this really got started, even earlier, right? So Agile at its core is about 100 years old mm. when people started to think of better ways to manage factories. And around, I think, the 1940s, 50s, lean grew as a good way to structure manufacturing and by eliminating waste and really thinking through the process and and optimizing the whole all the time Mm. and striving for stuff like single piece flow and making sure that everything that was like a workflow and that that was what everything was optimized against and essentially taking that concept and applying it to business development or product development or any type of service delivery knowledge work so to speak that's what agile is applying those concepts to a different field. So the lean concepts, which were optimized for mass production, if you translate those to an environment where it's not about mass production, but it's about, well, essentially individual production, because even though projects tend to differ, they are sufficiently different Mm. to merit also some, some quite big changes. And that means that you can't use the same process all the time and expect the same result. You need to be able to embrace change and, and like plan and replan really quickly. And creating a system that optimizes for that, so for inherent variability, instead of reducing the variability as much as possible, that's the main difference between lean as we know it in industry and lean as we know it in services and product development. The flavor of lean that we have now started to call agile in the past, I think, 20 years. Yeah. That's also interesting, by the way. It's already 20 years old. So it's it's not nothing new, really. Yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? So I'm a Lean Six Sigma black belt myself, actually. And I remember when I first did that, God, a long time ago now, understanding the background of it was, actually, this isn't a new thing. This is, like you suggested, decades old already. Yes. But it's building up and taking it into, rather than perhaps just a classic manufacturing background for Lean or a software background for, for Agile, taking it out and expanding that out beyond that original home, should we call it? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Because the essence of both is whether you're talking about lean or talking about agile is that essentially you make something big, smaller, and then you optimize and optimize and optimize until you've gotten the big thing again, but by delivering smaller increments of it, uh, allowing for constant change and constant inspection and adaption of both the process and the product. And as you do that, you'll become extremely good at delivering high quality products at speed. And it doesn't really matter what type of product that is. If it's an industrial product, you're probably optimizing for reduced variability, which is what you know all about as a lean black belt. Mm -hmm. And if you're talking software or any other type of like creative product, Mm then you want to optimize for variability. So it's the different thing. So you don't want to reduce it. You want to make as much room for it as necessary to be able to deliver something different fast. And doing that, you use the same kind of techniques. And that means that actually this way of improving is, well, if not 100 years old, is at least 80 years old. Mm. And that means that we know how to do this. It's, not, it's just that we're not always doing this. So is there a difference between should we call it modern agile and 80-year-old, 100-year-old agile, other than having a name, I suppose? <laughs> well, yeah. Yeah, I, I do think there is a difference because um, modern agile is informed by all the things we've learned along the way, but also about all the progress that we've made in, in terms of automation 
and digitization and like immense process improvement that just wasn't possible a hundred years ago that people couldn't even imagine that you would ever be able to automate it to the level that we're now. Mm. And we'll be in the future, we'll be looking back on the year 2021 and going, God, things were so manual back then, right? <laughs> yeah. And I think honestly that people will look back on the time and think, why weren't they using all that AI that they had already developed? I mean, that would have been so much better mm. to have AI assisted decision making. So I'm not saying AI take over, but we're, I think we're underutilizing that immensely. Mm. Yeah, I, I actually, um, I know someone that, that doesn't use the term AI, but uses or the classic term AI, but it's assisted intelligence instead rather than artificial. So I, I, I like that idea. Ah, nice. Yeah. That's a nice play on uh, abbreviations. Yeah, indeed. Indeed. <laughs> so how did you get into Agile, Lawrence? Well, when I got uh, started working, which is uh, it's quite a while ago, in 1999, which is when I um, started uh, professional programming as a job. I, I'd been programming uh, for a while by then, uh, around 1984 is when I wrote my first Apple Script software. Wow. <laughs> but that was hobbyism, right? That was a kid playing. Uh, but uh, by the time um, I'd uh, grown up and needed a job, I decided I wanted to become a computer programmer. So in 1999, I, uh, I started as a COBOL programmer, of all things, which is an ancient program language that I think people listening to this who know it, they have to laugh, like, really? In 1999, <laughs> that's what you learned? Um, and that is uh, because of the Millennium Bug, right? That there were lots and lots. That, so it was a sure thing. So if I, if I knew how to program COBOL, I, I had like five, six years worth of work. Mm. And as it so happens, I kind of liked programming, but I, I hated programming in COBOL. So before, <laughs> um, before, well, I just I think before the year was up, even I, I I'd learned some other languages as well, which came naturally to me because I started with uh, Apple Script and then moved on to all kinds of Basic and then Perl and C, C plus plus, and mm -hmm. I, I loved the art of programming, so to speak. And then so I learned Java, and that essentially never looked back because in the beginnings of the 2000s, that was the thing to learn. And I became, um, interestingly, I was so enthusiastic about the language that I, I started to team up with people who were also really enthusiastic about it. And before I knew it, uh, they'd spotted some management potential. So they made me manager of a Java delivery center of a company currently well-known because they've grown big, uh, Sojiti. And I, I had just so much fun doing that. But, and this is an important one, they had um, assigned me essentially a mission impossible, especially if you look from management perspective. <laughs> I had too many direct reports, so it was not really possible to manage them all in the classical management style that mm -hmm. was taught to me by the company. So I had to figure out a different way to do it. And then I thought, why don't we do extreme programming, which I just sniffed at before becoming a manager. But then with everyone, with the whole team, that, that should work, right? So. I just asked my teams what they thought about that, and they thought it was a great idea. So without anybody else knowing, we all started to do extreme programming and really becoming agile teams. That's cool. And that worked brilliantly. So I, I, I had a lot of enthusiastic teams that were highly productive. I essentially, I managed myself almost out of a job because um, I could just let them have at it. There was not a lot to plan or manage, and uh, so I became bored. <laughs> So then the next logical thing, became a project manager, failed at that spectacularly, figured out why. And that turned out to be that there wasn't a lot of agility involved. Mm -hmm. 
And before you know it, the, I repeated the pattern. I said, let's do this at project management as well. And then let's do that in HR and let's do it in marketing and let's do this. And, and then as a natural result of that, I became an agile coach in about, I think, 2006. So within the span of six years, I've moved from programming to doing all kinds of work in IT teams to consulting with companies to create their, what at that point in time weren't called digital transformations, mm -hmm. but were essentially the first types of digital transformation. And we call them, of course, agile transitions or something like that, because that was hip and cool because agile yeah. was kind of new then. So it was like four years old. Yeah. And I'd been in the agile space like from the moment they wrote the manifesto, so to speak, I was immediately hooked because I'd already been on, uh, maybe most people only know this from porn, but Usenet actually used to be a news server where people talk to each other instead of share movies. And so I was on Usenet uh, discussing with Kent Beck, who created Extreme Programming. And so I had all these ideas from the horse's mouth, so to speak. And that I just, I really loved that way of working. Mm. And when I became uh, an agile consultant, as luck would have it, a Scrum had become sort of the norm by then. I was one of the persons instrumental in introducing that in the Netherlands. Mm -hmm. By no means the only one, right? So I, I don't claim that. But um, I, I do think I was one of the first to really seriously work with uh, Scrum as, um, as a framework. And I had fun doing that. Yeah. Anything you do for the first time tends to go badly. So my first time was horrible. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> uh, but I learned a lot from that. And uh, having learned a lot from that, I, I decided to teach what I learned to others by consulting with them, but also by training people. Mm. And I've been doing that ever since. So it's now 2021. And I've been doing full-time agile management consulting since 2006. Yeah, that's very cool. And, you know, as one of the, you know, the very original agile coaches and you know you've obviously you got got on the uh, bus early helped introduce it to the netherlands you've you must have seen it shift and change quite a bit over the, over the last what sort of 15 years oh yes yeah yeah in the beginning it was mostly people who um who had read about it and who were enthusiastic about it and wanted to try it mostly at the team level or maybe there were some crazy executives and directors of startups and those kinds of companies mm. And then after a few years, it started to shift into normal organizations. And then interestingly, the front runners there uh, were banks, financial institutions, because they had the money to experiment with it. Um, and that was, also, <laughs> that was also the problem, because at that point in time, they still had too much money. So there was no need to become agile. It was just interesting. Yeah. Play around. And if it's a mistake, then no sweat, right? Yeah, but also... Uh, people kind of took their time, right? So the, one, of, one of the more interesting right. examples of how much time people actually took was uh, I had this unanimous management decision at some point to implement something with regard to Agile in the company. And I was happy as a coach. I think, oh, was well done. And then one year later, they actually started implementing it. And I was like, okay, so if this is the speed at which you implement unanimous decisions, what happens to the non-unanimous ones? <laughs> <laughs> And that is actually the thing that I think goes wrong still in a lot of organizations. They say they're going to work with it, but they don't really do it. So the, and that, that's actually a problem because then you think it doesn't work, mm. but you haven't even tried. 
And and that is, and I can see how that works, right? So you hire some consultants, and of course, you think that within two months, you'll get the results, mm. which is possible, but only if you really get after it, right? So if you really do it, and if you take a year to implement a unanimous decision, yeah, then of course, it's not going to be fast transformation. No, no, not at all. I mean, you know, diving in and exploring a bit more, how is it confused and misused? Well, mostly uh, because it, I think it's sold wrong as well, right? So it's it's like uh, it's sold like a pill. So take take agile and everything will be magically better. Mm-hmm. And the sad truth of the matter, of course, is that agile does one thing really well: it shows you all your problems, and then you still have to fix them mm. any way you uh, see fit. And that means that because you have this learning loop that you instill in your organization where essentially, and that's the classical part of this, like plan, do, check, act, right? But then really do it well. Uh, if, if you plan and you do and you check, but then don't act on what you've just checked, then it goes wrong. And that's actually what I see misused most often, Right. that teams are told to work in an agile fashion. And then the teams discover, okay, so the thing they wanted us to do is deliver more with less at speed. What we wanted to do and how it was sold to us was we want to deliver more with less at speed with quality because we want to deliver awesome products. Yep. And then the with quality thing is actually important because to just deliver more stuff faster tends to instill a lot of like technical debt and a lot of bad products that are not built well because corners have been cut, so to speak. And the whole point of an agile way of working is not to do more faster but actually to do less, faster, better. Mm. The less you do and the better you do it, the less you need to do. It may sense it's like minimalism, but then without the fanaticism around this, it's yeah. not the idea that you do as little as possible. No, you focus on, on just the, the things that add value now for sure, deliver them fast with quality, and then a little more and a little more. And as you do that, you deliver only what adds value. So you strip out all the waste out of every product that you do. And if you do that well, you'll end up, well, at least 10 times faster and better than you were before. Mm. That's where it most often goes wrong because that last thing that I've just said is what people latch onto, right? Oh, so if we do agile, it's 10 times better and faster than we were before. But that is only if you really do the work. And that tends to require grit and staying power and accepting the fact that when you get started with something, you're going to do it wrong. It's just like starting to walk or starting to, to cycle or starting to do any, anything that you do for the first time. It's likely that you won't get it immediately. And the same thing holds true for an agile way of working. Ah, oh, but that sounds like a lot of work. Do we really have to do all that hard work? <laughs> Isn't there an easy way? Yeah, sadly, there are no shortcuts. There is no easy way. <laughs> Dang. And because of that... Uh, that's what people don't like. People want the shortcut. So they buy the framework or mm. they buy the certificate or they get the rockstar agile coach who promised them he would do it in three months. Um, sometimes, to be honest, I was that agile coach, of course. <laughs> this is not something you do in three months. Not really, because it requires a real cultural change and a real behavioral change in your organization. And that is just, even if you can do it in three months, you won't be doing your own people justice, right? The only way you can change behavior in three months is to start a war or something. And 
and they will feel like one as well. And why would you in your company? Because that would essentially destroy good people as well. Yeah. Um, so you have to take them along. You have to invite them. And to actually, to put a finer point on what goes wrong most often is uh, it's, it's implemented as opposed to experimented with. And you should never implement an Agile framework. It's, it's actually, in my opinion, the missing line in the Agile Manifesto, the, the fifth line, so to speak, would be experimentation over implementation. Mm. So that people should essentially be invited to look into Agile as its concepts, the frameworks, the, the, um, the ideas that are available, and then be asked the question, which of these would you like to experiment with first? And I think that would actually speed up most Agile transformations because people, more often than not, actually do know what they want to improve. So this is a toolkit for improvement. Mm. And it tends to be beneficial to use everything from a certain framework. So if you do Scrum, try to do all of it, but maybe not all of it at once, right? You can do the things that most interest you first until you understand why all the rest is there as well. Mm. And you end up doing the full framework, but without any annoyance or irritation or wondering why, because you figured that out for yourself in a very natural way. Yeah. That makes sense. I like that idea of having the, the the experimentation piece rather than just this is the way it now works with then, like you say, the cultural cultural backlash against it. Mm -hmm. One of the elements I seem to come across people having challenges with is around planning, essentially thinking that Agile is now an excuse not to do any form of planning and we're just going to make it up as we go along because we're Agile. Uh -huh. What are your thoughts? Well, I used to get really angry when I heard that, and now I understand why people say it. Because in my opinion, in my experience, when Agile's done well, you don't do less planning. You do lots, lots of more planning, actually. Uh, the thing is, you're continually planning. Yep. And that's different. So it's not that you create one plan and you execute on that single plan for about three months without really changing it, only reporting exceptions, for example. Mm. No, you, you create a plan. And um, it's maybe it's a high level plan. And then you, you plan for the foreseeable future, let's say a month, maybe three, in a little bit more detail. And for the immediate future, let's say two weeks or something, you plan in great detail and then you go and execute. Mm. And every single day, if you do Scrum, for example, every single day you have uh, an event that is called the Daily Scrum where you get together. And the essence of that event is not to ask three questions in front of a whiteboard and stuff like that, which a lot of people tend to do. No, it's to create a plan for the coming 24 hours of how are we going to get as close as we can to the goal that we're currently chasing. And if you make it like that, it feels like a sports huddle and it actually becomes one. So if you do it like that, if you coach it like that, teams tend to become high performing teams. And a lot of people love being on a high performing team. Mm. And therefore, they start to work harder, deliver better quality. And that is, I think, like half the effort. If you do that, your team starts to deliver so much more so fast that you'll get an almost unimaginable problem, which is that your teams will be able to deliver faster than you are able to think what they need to do. Mm. Uh, that is, in most organizations, that's like utopia. Because most organizations have the situation where there's always more work than you can ever get done. Yeah. And in really well-honed Agile teams, they become so high-performant that at some point in time, they're just waiting for work. Mm. And the organization doesn't even mind because it feels good. When they think of something, they'll get it in two weeks. 
Yeah, that's a pretty unreal situation to be in. I'm sure if you're if you're listening in, have you ever been in that situation where <laughs> there's there's more resource than work to do? Well, talk to some people at Microsoft, and you'll hear those stories there, because they they have been doing that for the past ten years. And, and I don't know if you noticed, but Microsoft in the past ten years has become really cool. It's really interesting that it's it's not the sort of the geek company, yeah. And when I became a programmer, they, 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 Microsoft was not cool, right? So they were the behemoth, the, the enemy. And that's why you did Java. <laughs> because <laughs> nobody wanted to be caught dead with Visual Basic 6 or anything like that, even though they were wonderful languages that allowed you to be extremely productive. But nowadays, they're at the forefront of, of coding technology. They've bought GitHub. They do open source and they, and they deliver fast. And actually, they have created in their own software development stacks they have created the situation where uh, it sometimes, not always, of course, it sometimes happens that management doesn't know what the teams need to be doing because they're done. Mm. And then they have the question, are we scaling down now or are we waiting for something else awesome to come up and then have them do it? That gives options to a company that you normally wouldn't even consider. Yeah. You can only imagine what that could do for you and the possibilities it could open. Raj, I'd like to take a bit of a bit of a turn and go in a slightly different direction. Mm-hmm. You mentioned a few minutes ago about sort of culture, and I know that leadership styles can really make or break agile. What are your thoughts on what a successful leadership would do to ensure that agile experimentation, shall we say, goes really well? There's a lot of talk, especially in the agile community, of something called well, I always call it supportive leadership, but um, the term as you can see, I've taught myself to not say this out loud, servant leadership. <laughs> and I, I, don't, I don't agree with, uh, with servant leadership as a concept, not because I don't like the concept as it's described, but the term servant tends to be misinterpreted. Mm-hmm. And the idea is for, not for a leader to slavishly do what the team demands or what the team requests. No, but for the leader to realize that the, the best use of their time is to create a system in which the teams that they manage can optimally perform. And when the system is created in such a way as to really invite the correct behavior, then you no longer have to make people do it. Right? So you, don't, you no longer have to make people to work in an agile fashion. Uh, you don't have to make them do their job. Maybe you have to hold them back, mm. let alone make them do it. That's, that's the challenge. And for that, you use supportive leadership. Mm-hmm. And that is wildly different from the more common, classic, dominant leadership where you tell people what to do and where you maybe even plan their work and assign it to them. And I'm not saying that that's bad, right? In certain situations, that's exactly what it's called for. So it's not wrong that people do that. It's taught in management schools, and that also has a reason. So in some cases, that is the way to go. But when you need more agility in your organization, you need to like, be fast and, and nimble then that doesn't work. And we've known this for ages because um, even in companies that have really dominant leadership styles, when the shit hits the fan, so to speak, uh, you usually get the rock stars together in the war room and they fix the, and they fix the thing, like heroes. Yeah, sort of task force. I mean, re- retailers are quite hierarchical and yeah. quite dominant yes. leadership. Uh, some, some of them, there's obviously lots of different types of company out there. But yeah, absolutely. I've been involved in task forces and all that sort of stuff. In a lot of retail, that actually makes perfect sense. Yeah. It is, it is not wrong, but it is wrong in a certain environment. 
And in the environment where that is wrong, it is incredibly wrong because the thing that you, you just mentioned, like the task force, what agile tends to be is like the permanent task force. Mm. It's the special forces of your operation. And as we all know from uh, military outfits, yep. special forces are all the rage, right? So they have doubled or tripled in size because the military needs more of that and less of the normal forces. It doesn't mean you don't need the normal forces. So I, I, what I promote is a dual operating model where that part of your organization where you need to be optimized for efficiency, you, def, you just have dominant leadership style. You tell people what to do. You have plans and you work them because you can and because that is the optimal organizational form for that part of the organization. But for that part of the organization, and you have those in retail, I'm sure, as well, where you need to be nimble and fast and changing all the time. You need to optimize for effectiveness, not for efficiency. Mm. Um, so you want to be maximally effective, then you need the special forces and you need to also manage them like special forces are. And if you look at how, for example, the Navy SEALs are commanded, they get mission directives that allow for an incredible amount of freedom. Mm. They just need to get the job done, like any way they see fit and come back alive, by the way. Yep. That's objective number one. For that, they are supported. And they're not supported by touchy-feely, uh, singing kumbaya kind of management style uh, people, right? So they're supported by pretty aggressive leaders, <laughs> and, and, they're, and yeah. they're pretty dominant as well. So it's not that you need to shift that entirely. You just need to be dominant about the fact that they need to figure it out for themselves, and they need to uh, stay on top of this. And, and you create a system where that becomes the norm. And then they become extremely flexible mm. and get those results that you were after, because that, of course, is why you would want to go agile. It's not about being agile. It's about getting results faster that you need faster. Yeah, definitely. I was reading, um, or I actually listened to it, Team of Teams by uh, General McChrystal. Mm -hmm. Great book, essentially diving into it. Yeah. Yes, that's exactly it. Yes, it's a wonderful book. And that actually, the way that he describes teams, mm. that is what agile teams should be. Good book recommendation there if you've not checked that out. Team of Teams by General McChrystal. If you're into military leadership at all and then the forefront of it, do yourself a favor and also get the book Extreme Ownership by Jocko Willink mm. because that describes the psychological part of this, the, um, how you need to think and act and still just be aggressive, right? So you don't have to become a, a dove or something, um, but be, a, be an effective agile leader. That, that's almost the book to uh to read uh just for the mindset it's a little bit gung-ho of course <laughs> but uh but it, it it really hammers the point home good yeah good tips there thank you so you know just thinking about someone that is perhaps starting or looking to boost up their agile journey what should they do after listening to this podcast obviously a couple of book recommendations there anything else Lawrence? i usually uh give people Two websites to check out. One is the scrum.org website, which is um, the keeper of, of Scrum, so to speak, one of the three keepers of Scrum, to be honest, right? So the three, three large organizations that in, are involved in promoting uh, a good use of Scrum. I happen to be associated with scrum.org, yep. which is why, of course, I promote that. Uh, and they have very well described learning paths that are really uh, worthwhile, not just certifications and training, but also read this, read that, watch this YouTube movie to get a full understanding of what this, what this truly is and how you could do it from a different roles perspective, right? So if, if, whether you're a scrum master or a product owner or a leader or a team member, 
they have different paths for each of them. So I would look there. And uh, the other thing I would advise people to listen to, uh, because, well, this is a podcast, right? So what better thing to do than to promote another podcast on a podcast, <laughs> which is the Badass Agile podcast. And Badass Agile is, um, I think, my favorite podcast about agility um, because it, um, well, it sticks to its guns. It is really uh, well produced, which I kind of appreciate, but also uh, it's short and sweet and snappy. And you get um, the essence of Agile in just a few minutes. Very well done. So uh, all the concepts uh, without the promotion for specific frameworks or specific certificates or specific things you would need to get into. So it's all about the ideas and the mindset. So yeah, it's getting those sort of attitudes in place rather than the sort of, should we call it the technical skills as about exactly what to do. Mm -hmm. Amazing. Yeah. So those two for sure. Well, I could go on because I listen to almost all the Agile podcasts, right? So <laughs> Surely there must be loads <laughs> but, uh, of Agile podcasts yeah. now, though. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yeah. I, I would be doing, uh, I think, Agile for Humans a disservice to not at least mention them. If you're interested, listen to those too. Uh, but also just check out that website. That, that really will help you uh, on your path to, uh, to agility. Um, also, way outside of software, right? So because that's another misconception that people tend to have. Mm. that it's not suited for marketing or HR, or, and, and it actually is. Um, in the Netherlands, we, we're running it in schools even. So there are schools run with Scrum. Really? Wow. And we call it Edu Scrum, of course, uh, because uh, it is specifically tailored, but it's extremely effective. The, the grade point average is uh, at least a full point higher than in normal schools. Wow, really? I'll have to look at that. That's interesting. That's really amazing. So it, it actually yields better results. That is incredible. That is incredible. Some great resources there. I'm going to put those into the show notes today. So uh, if you'd like to go and check those out, then uh, that's going to be the place to go. But broadly, scrum.org and the Badass Agile podcast, which are, are two great resources. Thank you, Lawrence. So final, very important question. How can people get in touch and find out more, Lawrence? I think the easiest thing to do is uh, to check out my personal website, which is Bonama Inc., it could be weird because there's nothing about Agile on there because it's all about me drawing. And that's the other thing I love to do, which is uh, illustrate and visualize information in creative ways. Uh, but that will have all my contact information, how to get in touch and um, how to book a spot in my calendar, everything you would want. That's the easiest one. And having said this, I should probably put up a page there about Agile as well, because I do both. Yeah. And I, I think it's a great mix. And of course, you did uh, join us at Retail Transformation Live and you did some amazing sketch notes. Yes, that was fun. Back in July last year, some, yeah. some brilliant feedback. People loved them. So, um, you know, thank you so much for that. It was, uh, it was great to have you. Awesome. Thank you so much, Oliver. Well, it's been a really enjoyable chat. There's so much that we could go into in this conversation. But if you do have additional questions, then do head over to bonoma.inc and get in touch with Lawrence really super knowledgeable guy as you've heard for sure so Lawrence thank you so much for sharing all of your insights and your experience with us all today it's been a great conversation awesome Oliver appreciate the opportunity so what did you think of that conversation all about understanding agile I hope you did enjoy it as much as I did I found it really interesting really insightful for me I particularly loved that definition of agile that Lawrence introduced us to right at the start of the conversation. He defined Agile, of course, as 
common sense with an uncommon level of discipline. I really like that because it doesn't need to be hard. It doesn't need to be complicated. Quite the opposite, in fact. It's being sensible, but being diligent at the same time. So if you would like to get in touch with Lawrence, either for agile training and consulting purposes or as a graphic facilitator, as I mentioned there, he did also do some graphic facilitation at Retail Transformation Live last year, then do head over to the show notes page, obandco.uk slash 116, where you can get in touch with Lawrence directly or head over to his website, bonima.inc. And that's ink like a pen rather than incorporated. Okay. (laughs) And whilst you are on the show notes page today, if you have not signed up for my retail transformation briefings, then I highly encourage you to do so. It will make sure that you stay in touch with the latest retail transformation headlines and the key themes and trends that we continue to see evolving right in front of our eyes. You don't want to miss out on this, but you do want to stay in touch. So sign up at obandco.uk slash 116. It's absolutely free and you'll find that briefing in your inbox every single week. And I should also point out that if you are a new listener, then of course, do hit subscribe in your favorite podcast app. Make sure that you catch new episodes of the Retail Transformation Show podcast coming out every Monday. We've got some great episodes lined up and do check out the archives as well. There are loads of brilliant episodes in there. So listen, I'm going to wrap this one up today. It's been a pleasure to spend time with you and I look forward to joining you on another episode very soon. Bye for now. Bye for now.